come on the other side of the water. Hello, I'm Liz and I'm one of the ministers here and uh, we're going to now look at God's Word. So we're going to hear the Bible read in a minute and we're going to um, try and work out what it's saying for us today. And I'm going to start with something that probably it could be a nasty reminder for some of you. School reports. This is my school report. It's on the screen, but you probably won't be able to read it. Um, As you can see, it's an ancient document. I suspect they're all online nowadays. And um, this is my school report aged 11. And if you've got very good eyesight, you might be able to see how old I am from that. And it says things here, Elizabeth. Um, Good English, a very good terms work, but she is rather quiet in class discussion. Teachers always write like this, don't they? Sorry, I know there's some teachers out there. A very good terms work, but she is so reticent in class. Very good work, but she is too quiet in oral lessons. That was the French teacher. Quite good, but she must take part in class discussions. Chemistry. I don't remember there being any class discussions in chemistry, but there you are. Um, A satisfactory start, but more participation in oral work would help. Mathematics. I don't think there was any oral work in mathematics, but there you are. And finally, I was 14th out of 15 for needlework, and it says... She tries very hard. (laughs) Now, you may gather from that, and also from the headmaster's summary at the bottom, she is quite good, but a little too self-effacing. You may gather from that that I had a problem with shyness when I was at school. I was intensely shy, and that was when I was 11, But if I had read through the rest of this book, you will see it keeps on coming up again and again and again, right through to the sixth form. And this thing of intense shyness and lack of self-confidence didn't change for me. People kept on saying, oh, you'll grow out of it, but it didn't. It was there through all my time at school. It was there when I went on to university. It was there when I was applying for jobs. It was there in my younger days, in my social life, and in my relationships. And looking back now, it seems to be the main thing that was there for me at that time and that stopped me becoming the person I could have been at that time. And yet, and yet something happened to that intensely shy person because I am standing up here speaking to you today and that is something that I could never have imagined doing then. So what did happen? Well, God stepped into my life and he slowly changed me. And when um, we were told that we could preach on whatever passage of the Bible we wanted, I remembered the Bible passage that we're going to look at today. Because this, for me, was part of my calling 
And part of the reassurance that God gave me that made me move on from being that very shy person to someone prepared to preach. So I hope Anne is here and Anne is going to read us from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I think it's going to be on the screen as well, Anne. So So as you can see, it's on page 1145 of the Church Bibles. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 1, beginning at the 22nd verse. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential Not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Anne. So, this is part of a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. And he's writing it and he's saying that we have an unlikely message as Christians to deliver. That we have an unlikely message. If I just read a couple of those verses again. Jews demand miraculous signs, Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, I suspect that what happens nowadays is before anyone embarks on a major campaign of any sort, a political campaign or, or even an advertising campaign, they have focus groups and they have surveys to find out in advance how popular the message is likely to be with the intended audience. Now Paul says in this passage that the message that he is bringing, the message of the gospel, the message about Jesus Christ isn't likely to be popular with any of the people who hear it, any of the people of his day. 
If you remember, Paul went first to the Jewish people with the message of Jesus. And he says, Jews demand signs and wonders. They wanted to see this good news in action. Don't just tell me, show me how it works. Show me that it works. Show me a miracle and then I'll believe. That's what the Jewish people said. Similarly, when Paul went to the Gentile people, like the Greeks and the Romans and the philosophers and seekers after wisdom, they had a different reaction. They said, tell me it's true. Tell me this is true. I want to discover a new truth. Tell me this is true. Show me it works. Tell me it's true. Paul says that what he does is stands up and he preaches Christ crucified. So what he's preaching is the unlikely message that a humble preacher from Galilee is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah that the Jews were waiting for, the saviour and the hope of all the world. That's the message he's preaching. And he goes on to say that Jesus was taken, was tried, was crucified, was buried in Jerusalem. And that amazingly and miraculously, he came back from death after three days and was seen alive by over 500 people. And that now he is king of kings and lord of lords, still alive, still active, working through his followers, that's the church, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when they heard that, many Jews in, in uh, Paul's day said, that can't be so. How can a local preacher from Galilee be the Messiah? Why would the Messiah die? Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews. And many of the Greeks and the Romans and the Gentiles said, don't be silly. How can anyone come back from the dead? The message is foolishness to Gentiles. Show me it works. Tell me it's true. Those reactions to the Christian gospel are still around, all around us today. Um, Yesterday, um, a group of us were down in Park Street talking to people And we got variations of those two reactions to Christianity from the people that we met. So you might say, well, is it worth bothering to preach? Am I wasting my time here? No one is going to believe something as unlikely as that, are they? But this isn't the whole story. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. God is doing something surprising and different here. God is calling people to know him, both Jews and Gentiles. To those whose ears he 
is unstopping or whose eyes he is opening or whose hearts he is warming, that message is no longer weak and foolish. It is God's power and God's wisdom, says Paul. Now, it was my experience, and I'm sure many others here could say the same, that when God was working in me through the words of the Bible, things that had once seemed irrelevant suddenly seemed to come alive and be all about me and my life. And the bits in the Bible that I'd have never understood um, that seemed to matter so much suddenly didn't matter compared with the bits that I did understand and that seemed so important. And I suddenly found that the message of Jesus was not just a set of ideals to live by, but something that was actively changing me from the inside out. So that is why, when God gave me this passage, when I was thinking of becoming a preacher, this has always been very important to me. I want to preach... Christ crucified. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. So I want to ask you now if you don't think you know that Jesus has called you yet, if you don't think to, you know the power of Jesus in your life in that way, what is your stumbling block? As you look at this picture of Christ on the cross, what are your questions? Did Jesus really die in my place? And how can his death change me. Or there's another picture that we've got here. I find this quite a disturbing picture in some way. The risen Jesus walking up from the tomb out into the light. Maybe it's the resurrection you have difficulties with. Are you one of those people who wants to know that it's true? Did he really rise from the dead? Is death defeated? Is there hope in the world? We're going to go on to the second half of this passage now, but it's linked with the first. The second part of this passage says not only that we have an unlikely message to convey, but that we are very, very unlikely people to do it. You would have thought, if you've got a global message, a global movement, that God would have chosen the clever, the powerful, the celebrities, the rich, the famous, the good-looking, and the persuasive people. But he didn't. He didn't entrust his message to those people. If you want to know what sort of people God has chosen, you might like to look around. Are they the clever, the powerful, the rich, the famous, the good-looking, 
and the persuasive. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. If you remember, the first disciples were provincial fishermen, tax collectors, and they went on to become global missionaries and church planters and church leaders. Paul, whose letter we're reading at the moment, was turned from a persecutor of Christians to an evangelist and a teacher and a thinker. So what's the secret? Two of the best words in the Bible are in this passage. Two very simple words, but God. But God. It was like this, but God stepped in. It was like this, but God changed it. I was like this, but God changed me. God, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, but God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. So God just doesn't just make do with whatever he can get. He deliberately chooses the foolish, the weak and the lowly so that people can see that whatever happens through them is nothing to do with their natural abilities. It is all God's work. And I hope, like you, that you find that immensely reassuring, because I found that immensely reassuring. God can use even us. And none of us need to feel that we will be defined by the person we used to be. So I don't need, and I didn't need, to be a shy person all my life. And whatever holds you back doesn't need to define you. With God, we can be so much more than we ever imagined. So I'm coming to the end, folks. So I wonder today... Two questions, really. I believe that God has brought you here for a reason today. You might think you have come because you always come on a Sunday. You might think you've come to see your friends. You might think you've come um, to celebrate uh, with these wonderful babies and families. God has brought you here for a reason that is probably beyond that. If you wouldn't yet call yourself a Christian, I wonder what is stopping you believing. Paul talks about stumbling blocks, things that are holding people back. What is it for you? Is it intellectual questions? Is it things in the mind that stop you believing? Is it that you don't like the church and what the church, you think the church stands for? I've had that quite a lot recently. Is it something of the heart? I don't believe God could forgive me. I don't believe God could change me. 
And if you think you are somebody who knows Jesus, my question to you is, what's stopping you growing? What's holding you back? We need not be defined by the person we once were, but we may need to be healed and remade. I know I did. I want to put a little plug in here for the recovery course. Um, Sandra has stood up and talked about this, um, and uh, Bob has as well. This is the addiction recovery course that is starting soon here. And whether you have faith or not, this course might be a way of turning your back on something in your past. It's specifically for people who have who feel they're being held back by alcohol or smoking or drugs or gambling or porn or gaming or any other compulsion that takes over your life. Anything that's holding you back from becoming the person God wants you to be. It's a safe course. It's a safe place to share things. It's confidential and it works. We've done it several times already. Think about this, and there are um, uh, these little flyers outside with contact emails, confidential emails on that you can get in touch with Sandra or Bob, or it's on the website as well. So let's come to an end. What's stopping you believing? What's stopping you growing? We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who God is calling, and I trust that some of you are those whom God is calling, Christ the power of God and Christ the wisdom of God. Amen.